Well, I think you know when we're talking about selling in an oversupply market, you know, an agent is an important choice, and you know, like you sort of touched on before about pricing, you you really don't want to go with the person that's not going to give you advice. You know, you you're not paying them to be your friend. Let's be real. That's mm. not that's not the situation. Yeah, you're paying them for an outcome. Hey guys, welcome back to Property Chat with Lockie and Matt. Uh, Matt, we wanted to talk about today uh, selling in an oversupply market. So we've gone back to, a, as we said in our last episode, a situation where there is more property available. It's probably not quite to the point where it's an oversupply yet, but there's a possibility that it's heading that way. Yeah. And I think um, the position we're certainly in is that buyers have more choice. So they're willing to be a little bit picky. So what does that mean for a seller? I think it just goes back to price, presentation and promotion really matter. Mm. You know, where you position yourself in the market in against your competition, you know, the way you promote the property in terms Mm. of its reach, how far you're getting, how many people you're attracting, you know, and then overall your presentation, you know, making sure that when they're coming through your home, you know, it gives them that feeling that it's a superior home in terms of how it looks because ultimately we know that makes a difference. I think it's a culmination of all three. I guess, you know, having sold in an oversupply market, you know, before and, and sort of going through this, when we break down each category, I think if you look at pricing probably as the most essential one, you know, it's about finding that balance where you're the vendor who goes to market understanding we're in a new market. You yeah. know, how many people do you see in the transitional period still advertising for the price that they probably could have achieved in December, January, February, March? we're now in a different market. Mm. And you know, often asking prices and selling prices are different things. And so we need to try and find that balance between how do we make ourselves look more attractive, not underquoting, but look more attractive. Advertising a guide that would be maybe our bottom figure, and if we sold for that price, we'd think, yeah, okay, that's probably fair market value. But if we attracted enough attention and enough interest around the listing, allowed that competitive tension to do what it does, and allow your agent to have more people to negotiate with, well, ultimately we end up with a better outcome. Yeah, I think that's the funny thing about when you move from a very competitive environment to a slightly less competitive environment, is that for some reason, sellers forget the mechanisms that made that competition possible to begin with. Yeah. So you know, you've got a situation where the market's really hot, you're putting a price guide on a property that's basically what you're saying is where you expect the bidding to start at the auction, sort of like yep. that, that lowest price you think that the property could possibly you know, be considered worth. It's gotta be more than that, basically, is sort of what, what you're suggesting. Um, how much more will depend on the competition. Yeah. And as you say, it's not designed to underquote, it's just designed to say, look, here's where we think the bottom line is. You decide from there how much further, you know, it's Well, it's not up go. to us to determine the emotional price, right? right. The, the market sets the market. Yeah, exactly. But now we're in a situation where sellers are looking, and instead of doing the same thing, they're drawing their line in the sand at yesterday's price mm. and forgetting that whole mechanism. You go into a seller and you say, look, you know, if we were on the market previously, we would have guided at this level. Um, in order to you know, attract interest to sell at that same level now, because let's be honest, now you're not going to exceed the guide, you're probably just going to get the guide. Um, you're going to have to guide a bit lower to get people in and get them attached and get the interest in. And mm. maybe we get enough competition to get it there. But they're seeing that bottom price and going, well, there's no way because this is the price that I might have got a few, like last year. Yep. This is my bottom price. There's no way I'm sort of going to guide any different to that. But they were very happy to. Um, in well, there's so much disparity pricing. around 
value in property and, mm. and how we come up with an opinion of price. And obviously we'll talk about that in another episode, but you know, when they're leaning on things like bank valuations, real estate valuations, and the biggest issue that we have with say a real estate valuation is, you know, sometimes, which is horrible and you hate to see it, but in our industry, you know, the only person who gets paid is the person who gets the listing and gets the sale. And sometimes there's agents out there who in our industry, what we would consider it is buying the listing. Mm. They'll go out and promise yesterday's price because ultimately they seem more attractive if they're promising a higher price, even though in yourself, you know that's probably not as achievable. You know, like having just gone and sold a property, you do have to be realistic. I'll admit I was probably a typical vendor. You know, mm. I think of all, all my great times in the home and how good it is compared to every one of the neighboring properties that it sold. You know, that's in a flood zone. This house has a new bathroom, house has a new roof, all those things. But if you actually peel it back and, and really draw proper comparisons to the properties out there, you should be able to establish for yourself what real market value is and then understand, okay, well, if I want to attract more people to the property, what are some of the things I can do? And so, mm. you know, that's sort of touching on pricing and making sure that you take your agent's advice in pricing yourself competitively, but don't just look at the sales. Look at what's for sale. That's, mm. that's the most important thing. Before I launch a property, I will always have a conversation with every vendor and just say, look, it's important that we look at the competition that's on the market now because ultimately we're looking at what's sold when we come up with our opinion of price because that's factual. But when we're going to market, we're competing against these properties. We're in the market at the same time, and the market is evolving every day. That's so right. making sure that we position ourselves in the market, not on the market. And as you say, you talk about your own home, and I think that's a really interesting point, is that you, know, you can present a seller with a bunch of homes that are very comparable to theirs, and they'll sit there and say, they're not comparable. Mm. And the reason is that we're looking at it more logically based on what features those homes offer, but they're yeah. looking at it purely emotionally. And that's how buyers buy. Yep. Buyers buy based on emotion as well. So one of the trickiest things to navigate is in a market like this where maybe the, it, we are transitioning, is there'll always be at least one sale that is a bit of an outlier, that yep. but defies the market, that allows a seller to look at that and dig your heels in and think, no, that house sold for what I want and it's like mine, so I, I'm digging my heels in. But what a lot of people don't realise is the reality of that sale is most likely that they were so lucky to find a buyer who had the exact emotional connection with that home as the seller. Yep. They were so like the seller yep. that when they walked in, they're like, this feels like my home. This is, this is it. Yep. And they pay the money. So, and it happens sometimes. Yeah, and the chances, sometimes. the chances of that happening are very small. So you might have out of 20 sales, one where that happens. But obviously, as a seller, you're sitting there going, that's the one sale and it's high I'm going risk, to look at. Right, like it's high risk. Yeah. You're, you're sitting there, and, the, and what's the risk? The risk is that you become that stale property because real estate is no different to bread or milk. It has a shelf life. The longer that you're on the market, you know, you're deemed to be that stale listing. You know, buyers will still think, what's wrong with the property? Why has it been on so long? It's the first question we get at open homes that have been yeah. on for a little while. What's the problem? Why has it been sitting around so long? And you know, the interesting concept is. I find the most attention around a listing is only once we've had an offer. Mm. You know, once people then go, somebody else wants it, I want it too. Yep. So that's the environment that we want to create is we want buyers to come in and go, well, it's it's popular for a reason. Like coffee shops are probably a great example of this. Mm. You know, there's so many coffee shops that you see where you'll you go into a new area and, you know, I guess for me, I don't come down to Sydney that much. And when I do, I don't particularly have a local coffee shop that I know very well, but if I'm in a new suburb, I generally gravitate to where there's a crowd because mm. in my head I go, well, you know, the perception is the coffee's really good because there's 10 people lining up, but there's usually a coffee shop next door with no one in it. It would probably be quicker, might be cheaper, yep. but 
I don't know if it's going to be better than what everyone else wants. So you go and join the queue and you, you pay the dearer price for the better coffee, which may be no different to next door. So I think property's the same. Whenever we have energy and activity at open homes or there's one offer or two offers, like how many times have you heard a buyer say to you, mm. just give me a ring when you get an offer? Yeah. Why do you want to negotiate at that point? Wouldn't you want to be the one to set the market? I wouldn't want to be the one sitting there saying, the agent's ringing me now because he's got an offer. He's now going to create that competitive environment. But buyers don't think that way. You know, we've seen it time and time again. Nobody wants to be that first one to step out. So from a vendor's point of view, if you can get as many people involved as possible, that's going to help your cause. Well, it's even the same at an auction, of course. You know, yeah. no one wants to be that first bidder. It's always the hardest bid to get. In When you're talking about offers or not in an auction space, um, all that is is that the gap is just even longer between yeah. you know being on the market and finding a first offer because people are even more hesitant. Yeah. But that at auction, that 30 seconds or a minute where people don't want to make the first bid feels like an eternity. Yeah. And it's the same thing. They just don't want to do it until they feel that they get that, I guess, validation from their peers that yeah. this is something that they should want. And I guess we touched on we touched on prices of being important. You know, you need to make sure in a market such as this that you're ahead of the market, not behind it. Yeah. Um, and that way you'll attract the bulk of the buyer pool to your property. So that's really important. Make sure you have an aggressive or you know an attractive pricing strategy that's going to get buyers there. They need to look at your property and think, um, if that was on the market three months ago, would it have been more than what they're asking? If the answer to your price is yes, you're going to get buyers through the door because that's what they want to feel like. Yeah. They don't want to feel like they're paying the same or more. Now the funny thing is, if you get the bulk of the buyers through, once they see that everyone wants it, the coffee shop thing kicks in. Mm. And the likely scenario is, they end up feeling justified paying yesterday's prices. It's like a water level, the more that you put in, the higher the rise. That's exactly right. Yep. So you start at a position that's um, in line with today, trust the process, and there's every chance you end up defying the market because yep. you've actually done what no one else is willing to do, and listened to what buyers are looking for at the moment. Yeah, and then I think you know, a lot of it comes into presentation as well. When I when I think about, there's always going to be those homes. You know, we sort of talked about in the last episode that there's homes that are just in great locations that are just exceptional in the way they're presented mm. in a day to day aspect. You know, that they're, they're always going to sell in any market. They're going to be popular. What about the homes that are your everyday homes? You know, like. Went out to one recently, mum and dad had the kids all leave home, so you can imagine a big five bed feels pretty pretty rattly. You know, mm, there's not much yeah, in there, it yeah. needs to be filled out. So, you know, we talked about styling or partially styling. You know, I, I see a lot of pushback on marketing costs and it's always astounding me because ultimately this is your investment in peace of mind. Mm. At the end of the day, when you sign the contract, you've got to know in yourself, doesn't matter what the agent says, because it's not the agent's home. At the end of the day, once the deal's mm. done, he moves on to the next one. Doesn't matter how much he cares about you or cares about the situation or cares about the deal, it's not his money. Yeah. So it's ultimately that, that responsibility rests with you to make the decision. They can give the advice. But you have to be the one who signs a contract and says, I was really happy that I did everything I could have to get the best price out of today's market. Mm. And I think, you know, oftentimes we see properties where the presentation's just lackluster or the home feels quite hollow, like we're in winter. Yeah. Let's let's warm it up, let's have a lot more light, let's let's do everything we can to make it a better property. And it doesn't necessarily need to be structural changes or or a full repaint or a full recarpet, because for some people that might be out of their budget. It might be inconvenient, like how do you recarpet when you're living there? Yeah. Repainting, it's just it's painful. Or you might be under a bit of time constraints to get it to market. So I guess some of the things that I would suggest to vendors is 
don't see your market as, as an expense, see it as an investment. Because if you are committed to the sale, you'll get that money back. Mm. You know, even if you made exactly what you spent on it. If you could have sold it off market for two, you do all the investment and all the marketing and it gets you two, that's that $6,000 well, right. is peace of mind. Well, it's as you're saying, the presentation is protecting your price in this market. It yeah. was easy for sellers, I think, to get their head around spending money when you could say, look, if you spend three and a half, four grand, five grand on styling this marketing campaign, and it will generate you potentially an extra hundred grand on top of what we think the property's worth. Yeah. Oh, easy, that's a no-brainer. But when you sit there and you say, oh, you're not gonna make any more money, you're just not gonna lose yeah. money. Yeah, exactly. They go, well, why would I spend that? You go, well, because if you don't, you risk sitting on the market, you risk becoming stale, and you risk losing sale price. And then they say, well, I'm just not gonna sell then. And you go, that's, that's great, but now you've created a digital footprint. So the next time when you do go to sell, because obviously you've got a plan. There's mm. obviously a reason why you wanted to do this in the first yep. place. So you wait a year, you wait 18 months, you put it back on the market. First thing that buyer sees, they Google the property. I was on the market 18 months ago, why what did it sell then? Yeah, <laughs> I guess the big thing that I always think of is like, you can't quantify the value that styling or presentation makes on your home. Mm. You know, like you don't have the ability of selling it before you paint it and recarpet it and style it, and then selling it without and going, oh yeah, it was worth it. Yep. Marketing's probably the only thing that really, you know, is quantifiable because we get the stats, we get the numbers, you know, there's some key drivers back there that we know work, you know, whether it be through the use of the, the different websites where we're getting higher page views, higher volume, higher inquiry, mm. more people through the door. I think that becomes more a trust basis. But, you know, if I'm a seller at the moment, I would probably, if you're thinking that, okay, I'm not ready to sell today, I'm three months away, I'd be starting going back to old school real estate. Like, how many times now are you just called out straight to list the property? The vendors have uh, they've either presented it how they're planning to sell it, mm. or this is exactly what their, their thought process is, and then you come out and it's a matter of, we're just interviewing agents. Mm -hmm. It's not an appraisal. We know what we want, we know what we want to pay, we know what marketing we want to invest in, we're literally just selecting an agent. Mm. I've seen so much of that. When I first started, and this is you know almost 10 years ago, it was appraisals for people that were selling in a year from now. Yeah. Matt, we're selling in a year, what would you recommend us doing? You know, This is where our head's at, this is our budget, this is what we think we want to do, and we would go through that process and we would check in in three months and in six months. It also allowed them to then say, okay, what's the market doing now? What do you think it will do? What's gonna align best for both of us? And then do things like track some properties on the market. Mm. You know, I say to sellers all the time, if you're not ready to sell today, but you think that it's likely within the next three to six months, go and pick five or six homes in your core area that you think are comparable, watch where they start and where they finish, look at how they've been presented and maybe what they could have done different. Mm. Go and walk through those homes, see how they compare, yeah. see what feeling you get from them. Mm. And I think, you know, when you mentioned before that some properties have just negative features you can't get over, I think yep. that's something to keep in mind too. I think Australians are so obsessed with property and like shows like The Block and, and those types of renovation shows, um, people are just so obsessed with that. Mm. That you can have a property that's maybe like a stepping stone property. So let's say you bought your first or second home and it's definitely not an ideal location. It might be like a main road, it might be quite a, uh, an average spot, but yep. you, you know, you're using it as a stepping stone. Um, there, there might be some negative feature there. You know, I think sometimes people can go too far yeah. with their presentation too. And they're looking at a situation where they overspend. And mm. that's where you know, it's good to have advice from an agent too because you get someone in before you do all that work that can tell you that unfortunately guys, 
the market is not there in this suburb in that location for that Italian tapware that you've just put in. Yeah, yeah. They don't. They, or they, or they take nice. too long. Or they take too long. They take How too long. How many times yeah. have you seen that? Yeah. Where, you know, I've, I've genuinely had conversations with people where I'm saying, in the time it's going to take you to do the renovation that you want to do, especially given where trades mm -hmm. are at at the moment, it's going to cost you plenty. It's going to take forever. And it's likely that you won't be ready to sell till, till spring. Right. And what's one of the things we're talking about? An oversupply market. What is spring generally? An oversupply market. And that's when it comes back to the best thing you can do and the safest thing you can do is to present what you have in the best way. And yeah. people often think, oh, I'm not going to style the property. It's not renovated. If you have a 15-year-old kitchen and you style the property, it looks like a five-year-old kitchen. Yeah. You know, it's incredible. Even if you have a 1970s kitchen and you style the property, it still somehow brings it back in fashion. Yeah, it looks yeah. livable. You, you know, people look and go, "Yeah, I can live with that for a few years." You yeah. know, you change the carpet, paint the walls, put the style furniture in, and then have a really, really good marketing campaign. And what I mean by that too is, you need to have an agent who understands who the buyer is and does more than just the stock standard. Now, the stock standard back in the day was, you know, put a sign up, put it in the window, the old old school method. And then the new age was, oh, we put it online, we do videos, we do this. That's now the old, that's now the old mm. school. That everyone is doing that. Yeah. So you've got to have a better strategy to how to make it appeal to the buyer. And I think you've got to target the buyers a little bit more, like figure out who is going to be the person. Yeah. How do we get in front of them? Like, you know, things that can work especially well is, you know, much more targeted marketing. So you might pitch your styling to suit the type of buyer. And I know that obviously works really well on the coast, yep. for example, right? Like someone coming from Sydney, they're wanting a coastal atmosphere. So if you nail that with the styling, suddenly yep. a home in Terrigal Estate looks like a beach house. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the, the atmosphere that someone coming from, say, southwestern Sydney, wanting to be near the beach, you've captured that. But I think as well, we now lean into a market where runs on the board are important. Selecting an agent who you know has the track record, you know, often what that means, and, and I guess before I had had a track record of selling, you know, more properties in my suburb than, than any other agent, I never really understood the importance of it. You know, it was just like I would look at that and it was just competition for me. I just wanted to be better and be better and be better and try and knock some things off my own personal achievements list. Mm. But what I've since realised is it gives you market share of buyers. If I'm selling more homes in the suburb than anybody else, I'm meeting more buyers. If I'm meeting more buyers, I've got more relationships. But it's further than that. These buyers are making offers on the properties that I have. When you can only sell one property to one buyer, you're then taking that buyer and their offer to something else or knowing exactly what they can spend. So when you take them through something that might be you know, slightly lower in price but you know they have the budget for it or you've got the relationship with that buyer to push it, you know, in a hot market, Sure, I agree. You probably can get away with using, you know, any agent, maybe someone who's just started up or someone mm. who's who's keen and ambitious. Do I still think that ultimately that can cost you? Yeah, but I think in these markets it's really important to make sure that you align yourself with an agent in your area who has a track record of being able to reach as many buyers as possible. Mm. Well, I think, you know, when we're talking about selling in an oversupply market, you know, an agent is an important choice and, you know, like you sort of touched on before about pricing, you, you really don't want to go with the person that's not going to give you advice. You know, you, you're not paying them to be your friend. Let's be real. That's, mm. not, that's not the situation. Yeah. You're paying them for an outcome. Yeah. And it, the agent that's going to get you the best outcome is the agent who's actually prepared to give you the advice that you need, yeah. not just tell you what you want to hear. And unfortunately, a lot of the newer agents in the industry that have only seen the market that's been really, really good, they've never experienced telling bad news. 
Like I can remember, you know, just after the GFC where you'd do sort of eight, ten open homes and you'd meet two people and mm. one of them was a neighbour. You know, I remember, <laughs> six, I remember six months on market being good. Yeah. You know, and, and I remember, I still remember when I first started, we'd, we'd gone along to my first open home and I'm pumped. I'm thinking, geez, we're going to get smashed here. You know, this is such a cracker of a house. It's going to be so busy. And then we go through the process. We get to the open home. No one, not a soul. Mm. And I remember turning to the agent at the time. I said, Harry, is this normal? He's like, yeah, we'll probably expect no one for the first few weeks until we, you know, start to get the price aligned with where the market is. And the hardest part about these markets is, it's hard to get your head aligned on price when no one's coming through. Definitely. Because then it's like, how far do you need to reduce your asking price to make a difference? And that's why I say to vendors, from my point of view, price is the last thing I want to change. Like honestly, I understand the value of money, whether it be getting the vendor an extra thousand or an extra five thousand or ten thousand or a hundred thousand, covering our costs, covering solicitors' costs, legal fees, like all that kind of stuff makes a difference. But when I think about that, I often get into that headspace of, you know, what can we be doing to get them the best outcome, making sure that leading up to that, we're happy with everything. Mm. They've confirmed that the marketing is as good as it can look, yeah. that the property is presented as good as it can look, that they're not going to come back later when we're asking them to adjust on price because the market's just not there and saying, well, it's got to be something else. We want to know that there's only one leverage point that might need to change. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And you know, if you've ticked all of those boxes, you can actually determine what that thing is. Yeah. If you're leaving things that you haven't done, you don't know. Yeah. Is it the marketing? Is it the market? Is it the property? Is it the price? Is it the location? Yeah. What is it? You want to make sure that you can narrow it down so you can actually give that advice. Yeah. 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 Hundred yeah. percent. But I think you know the key things are like if to want to sort of recap on what we're suggesting. I think when you're selling in an oversupply market, and not that we're really there yet, but we're in a position where buyers are hesitating. So yeah. it's a similar environment. Yeah. It's a similar sort of thing where buyers are hesitating so it feels like there's more property than there are buyers. But the buyers are there, you've just got to get them to commit. So the same things apply. If you're the best presented house in on the market at the time, if you seem the most appealing, if you have the best marketing, if you've got an agent who is really good at following up buyers, encouraging them, you know, getting them to come through the property. The difference between a sale and not a sale in a market like this can be an agent who makes a follow-up call to a buyer who inquired that didn't come through and they're on the fence and the agent coaxes them just to come through, just why not, have a come and have a look. Yeah. It takes that little bit of extra time to make that phone call and they come through and lo and behold, they're like, oh, that's actually better than we thought it was or there's something yeah. about this that we like. We were going to wait, we were going to hold off, but Matt, you're telling me I could buy this for this now. Yes, you could. Hmm, okay, maybe we're in. And then all of a sudden, you've created a level of interest in the property that is defying the market conditions. That's really what you're looking for as a seller. You want to have an agent that can help you through presentation, price, all of those yep. things, create your own market conditions. Yep. If you can do that, that's, I guess, the, the goal. Yeah, definitely. And I think in the next couple of episodes, it'd be good to touch on, you know, how we would come up with pricing and a couple other things like that. So guys, thanks again for tuning in. As always, we welcome any feedback, but um, we'll see you in the next episode.